Uh, before we get started this morning, I'm going to invite a couple of guests to come up, and then we'll get into the Word together. I just had a word for us as a people who are gathering, as a tribe that God is forming. Um, and it's wonderful to see all of you here this morning. And um, I just um, wanted to share something that was on my heart this morning. You know, we just enjoyed the last two weeks. John mentioned Circle Church. You know, we would just gather the chairs together, and things were very simple. On Christmas, there are about 40 of us. And uh, last Sunday on New Year's Day, about 70 of us. And there's something really beautiful about when you kind of strip it down, and it's just us and God and, you know, worship. And I'm sharing communion together. It's very powerful. And um, I just, um, I'll stop saying I just. um, But I guess I'd like to emphasize, um, as we kind of shift back to from Circle Church, which can feel very community, back to... In my mind, I call it professional church. We've got to turn on the lights, get on the stage, get a band behind us, get a sound system going. I think my concern is that we lose some of what makes the harbor the harbor, and that is a tribe of people walking together, you know, which is why I'm always inviting you to please get connected into a faith group, because it's in that small community that you experience much like what we experienced these last two Sundays. So God has called us together for such a time as this, and just make sure that you're aware that, hey, when we come together on Sunday... I pray that you're not only just having kind of a religious experience with God, but I pray they're interacting with one another. I pray that we are being knit together um, at a heart level, at a family level, because that's how we're going to make it for the long haul. You know, that's how we're going to do all that God wants us to do. Jesus walked simply with 12 people in order to change the entire face of the earth. And so if we'll not lose that meeting together, um, being knit together, if we'll not lose the... um, real kind of revealing of ourselves one to another, sharing with each other at a deep level, um, and sharing the presence of Christ together. Um, that's what's going to have us make it for, for the long haul. Amen? So that just means intentionality on your part. It means intentionality on, on each other's part of knowing one another and being on a journey of knowing God together. We do the best we can to facilitate that with all we got going on, but hey, we, we, it, needs, it takes the whole body for that to happen. So, well, Amen. I'd like to um, have Elizabeth Gilman come on up. She's going to share a little bit about Mandate. As Sarah mentioned, it's kind of the main event of our mini-movement of churches, CFI, Community Faith International. And um, as Sarah mentioned, we'll be at Bentley University in Waltham, just about 45 minutes south of here. And we're, there's so much joy, there's so much synergy in our three churches at this point being together, really four if you count our, our um, plant in Tempe, Arizona, which is doing really well this fall. You know, they've just been meeting since August. They already got a good gathering, about 80 or 90 folks. They're about to start a training school in, in the fall, just as we started our Navigate School. So they're really healthy. All right, it's this mini movement of churches. It's kind of the main event for us. And um, I want to tell you who the speakers are. We got Colby Lehman coming. Colby Lehman's a friend of mine from college. He was in Tunisia the last seven years, and now is planting in uh, North Carolina in Charlotte. And healthy, healthy beginning. They're doing um, f- uh, small groups together just to get launched. Uh, we have uh, Joe Ewan. He is a pastor, church planter in Scotland, Banff, Scotland. He has been at the harbor before. He's a real prophetic guy. He just gives us good wisdom as a movement, so he'll be there. And then also we have a guy from outside of our uh, movement called Larry Kreider. Larry Kreider, is, um, uh, he has launched a great movement of churches uh, starting in Pennsylvania called Dove Christian Fellowship. has some wonderful discipleship materials out there. But he's going to be such a father to us as a mini-movement here because he's seen a whole movement um, kind of come to be birthed here in the Northeast. So he kind of gets some of the things we contend with in the Northeast. 
and is just a great father to us. He'll be speaking Saturday night and Sunday morning when all the churches are together um, for the Sunday morning worship time. We're not here. So please come. Please don't miss it. Um, we'll, keep, we'll get you all the information you need. And it was actually at that Sunday morning meeting that Elizabeth really kind of encountered God last year. So why don't you just share with us about that, Elizabeth. Good morning, everybody. So I'm here to encourage you about World Mandate, and the reason for that is because it's just an awesome opportunity uh, for God to get you in a room as sort of a captive audience and speak to you. So the last time I was at World Mandate, um, I was worshiping, just hanging out during the worship time, and I felt like God spoke to me that the past is the past, your slate is clean, and you are forgiven and free. And it was really a powerful word for me. Uh, I have quite a past that I won't go into. But um, it was a profound, you know, that, that's something that we know, right? We, we know that we are forgiven and free, and we know that, uh, that God has uh, cleaned our slate. But I needed to hear it from God. And it was such a profound experience that I woke up the next morning a changed person. And uh, life after that was very different. I knew that I knew that God was good, and I knew that uh, the past was the past, that I didn't have to relive that stuff, that I didn't have to uh, make excuses for things, that I didn't have to uh, continue to kind of live in that old stuff. And it has just dramatically changed uh, my image of God, my image of myself, and and, uh, many other things. So... That is why I would encourage you to go, go to World Mandate. It's just an awesome opportunity to, uh, to have God just speak into your life. Thank Amen. you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Come on. <laughs> Powerful stuff. Thank you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for a new year. And even as we prayed last week, Um, a prayer from the Puritans, Lord, that as we launch our ship, as we launch our bark or our boat onto the waters of this new year, we thank you that you, Father, are our harbor, you, Jesus, are at the helm, and you, Holy Spirit, are filling our sails. We pray that that would ever be the case in 2012, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as I... um, Walk to work every day. When I walk from my home in Rileside in this neighborhood to the office, I pass by a lot of ships that are in dry dock. And um, let's, let's get that ship up there. I think it's the one right before um, Rachel. There we go. Raquel, excuse me. We got in there? Let's see. Well, you got the picture in your mind, right? <laughs> ship in dry dock is one that is being repaired. It's being refurbished, it's being restored. You know, the reason they're obviously there in the winter is because um, they wouldn't make it in the ice of the winter harbor. And so, I wonder about you and your soul. If we, take that, if we take the picture of a boat in dry dock as a picture of our souls, what is God working on in you? What are the barnacles that he is scraping off of your side? How is he repainting your hull? How is he outfitting you with perhaps a new device or a new... Um, machine or a piece of operational equipment that can make you speedier or smoother or whatever. What is God doing in you? Last week we talked about one of the dangers of the New Year's resolution ethos is that we can become too self-centered. 
And so the encouragement we got last week was, hey, let's keep in mind that if we'll order our lives in 2012 around the heart and the purposes of God, we will have real fulfillment. And to find out what God's purpose is in his heart were, we looked at Ezekiel 34.4. Excuse me, Ezekiel 34, more like verses 10 to 16. We see God's heart there was to care for those who are injured, who are lost, and who are stray. That we needed to care for others like God does. So we want to order our life around his purposes. So that being said, in other words, that being said, that our danger as we do this dry dock season that we're in, kind of we're going to hit this these next three weeks, is how is God retooling us? That being said, that, hey, we want to put our lives around the purposes of God. Now as we go a little bit introspective, we just say, okay, God, what are you doing? And as I'm in dry dock, looking kind of out to the ocean, we got that one, we're in dry dock, I'm looking out to the ocean this year, I'll tell you what I've got in mind. I just want to see more salvation. You know what I'm saying? The people that I know in my neighborhood, people that I work with, people that I see around Beverly, I want people to come to Christ. When I think of you and us together, I want to see more deliverance. You know, I'm walking with people through their issues, and I want to see more people truly delivered from their stuff. And I want to see healing. You know, we've seen some physical healing here, but I want to see more people actually touched by the power of God. Not because I need to get validated as a minister of the gospel, but because when I see the people outside these walls, and when I see you, I see some of you are in pain. And I want to see God touch people where they're hurting, here and outside. So I go, okay, God, this is how you're retooling me. This is how you're, you're, you got me in dry dock so you can get me ready for 2012 so we can see more healing, more salvation, and more deliverance. How do I go about it? What do you have for me? How do we do it? And so we look at the scriptures, we find in Luke 16 something really powerful and really telling. If you want to turn with me to Luke 16, I'm going to start at verse 10. Luke 16, verse 10. How is God retooling us so that we can be all about seeing salvation, healing, and deliverance come this year? Now, what precedes Luke 16, 10, and the nine verses before is a very confusing story. And it's a parable that's given people problems all through the centuries. Brian Carlson did a great job preaching on it last summer. <laughs> so I'm actually just going to let it rest. And it's, if, you, if you can think of the story, if you've come across this, maybe you'll remember it. It was a story where Jesus talks about a, um, a shrewd manager. His master found that he had been cheating him, so his master was going to fire him. And so what the manager does is he goes and cancels or, you know, changes the books of some of the guys of his master's creditors, basically. So he basically lies and cheats, and Jesus honors this guy. And he says, actually, he was really shrewd. He was really good with worldly wealth. And the great thing about Jesus at this parable is he tells his disciples for this confusing story, hey, here's what I want you to draw from this. Here's the point I'm making. So that's what we're picking up right here at Luke 16, verse 10. Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Jesus very much kind of um, showing to us that his desire is to give us more and more responsibility on this earth and this life and in the life to come. And he concludes with the verses that we're very familiar with in Matthew. It says, No servant can serve two masters, 
Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So again, remember the context here for me is, I've got true riches in mind. In other words, I want to see more salvation around here. I want to see more healing, and I want to see more deliverance. And I look at the Word of God, and what does it say to me in verse 11? It says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? How can God trust me and us with the true riches, the true commodity of his kingdom, if we're not wise with our worldly wealth? So the mismanagement, if Kelsey and I are mismanaging our household income, if we're mismanaging the things that God's given us, then how can I expect to also be facile? How can I expect to be skilled at dealing with the true riches, the commodities of heaven? Amen? So, this is my, my heart for us today. Is it's going to be very simple and practical. But I'm asking, Lord, let us all re-examine ourselves where we stand in this. And that is, I want us all as a people, for your individual sake and for our corporate sake, to be good at doing something. If we want true riches, then we need to start to make and keep budgets that begin with T and have no D. Okay? I want us to make and keep budgets that begin with T and have no D. And some of you know right where I'm headed with T and D. So we need to make and keep budgets. I want to encourage some of you, if you've never done that before, you just need to figure out your income. You're in and you're out. You just need to figure out, take some time and figure out what do you got coming in and what do you got coming out. The problem with America is we usually have this much coming in and like this much coming out. Some of us just need the simple discipline to correct that. And I'm going to give you some help with that at the end of this message. But to set the direction for your budget, you want to begin with T. And T, of course, stands for the tithe. Okay? Now, usually at this point, that's where I would kind of slap us over the head with like a great verse from Malachi. Malachi 3.8 says, Will you rob God? Will you rob God by not bringing in the tithes? But I want to approach it from a different angle today. There's the obedience angle, which just makes sense to me. It's kind of like, if you obey, you get blessed. It's pretty simple. What I find is more motivating for me personally, you know, when I'm at Starbucks about to have a deception meeting and wondering, should I spend the three, you know, four dollars on the cafe mocha or should I just get the cup of joe, you know, for a dollar? And, you know, knowing that these things add up over years and months, the obedience thing doesn't always motivate me. You know what does motivate me? Is relationship. Relationship is what motivates me. So when it comes to the tithe, which is the biblical word for the 10%, What motivates me is relationship. And when we start our budgets with the tithe, it is relationally saying, God, I'm yours, and all that I have is yours. And we just kind of destroy that myth of the self-made man, or the myth that I'm alone in trying to make my finances work for me. And we say, God, I trust you. I trust you. In fact, what we're saying is one great uh, leader has said, he says, I trust God with the 90% more than I trust myself with 100%. Amen? I'm going to trust God with the 90% more than I trust God than if I had the 100%. I think it's a great way to think about it. Relationally, we're saying, God, I'm dependent on you, and I trust you. The principle comes from the Old Testament. In fact, it's almost the, it's practically the um, summary of the book of Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 27.30 says this, 
It says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Remember, Leviticus was just a whole string of things. God saying, this is how I'm setting you apart as a people. This is how you're going to be holy. Because this is how you're going to show your relationship to me. Now, you and I don't live in an agrarian society anymore. We're not picking up, you know, a bushel of apples and giving a tenth of them to God. But the principle is a good one. And we know that from the New Testament. It was such a common thing. You know, when Jesus talks to the scribes and Pharisees and says, hey, you guys tithe your mint and your cumin, but you don't attend to the more important things like justice and mercy, you should do both. And when Paul in Romans, he mixes metaphors sometimes and talks about first fruits. Well, that first fruits is speaking about the tithe. Everyone he was speaking to would know the regular rhythm of giving the tithe. So now, I can come to Malachi 3.8, will you rob God? And it's got a whole different perspective for me. Because I don't want to just rob God in the sense of, hey, um, you know, I'm not going to give my first fruits because I'm too worried about my bills and um, you know, I'll, we'll figure it out. And um, you know, okay, the church is going to be fine without my 10%. It's going to be okay, that sort of thing. But now I'm thinking, God, you have the keys to the things that I'm longing for. I'm longing to see salvation in my neighborhood. Redemption. I'm longing to see people restored, right? Jesus came, said, and he said that he came to seek and save the lost. Remember after he hung out with Zacchaeus, he said, I've come to seek and save the lost. So God's, he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to restore all things. I want to see that happen. So now when it comes to the tithe, there's something going on. And it's God, out of, out of obedience and relationship to you, I'm going to do this thing because if I don't, I'm missing, I'm not able to tap into all the power that you have for me as far as healing and deliverance and salvation for me and my neighborhood, my area, our region, New England. Amen? This is why we tithe. There's another small prophet like Malachi. His name is Haggai, and he really hits the nail on the head. I'm actually going to read from Haggai. I'm going to start actually in verse 5 and go to 11, and then I'll read verse 4. He really gets this relational dynamic about the tithe and us trusting God with our finances and that being how, our, how we kind of uh, demonstrate where our treasure is in our hearts, as Jesus would say later in Matthew 6. He says this in Haggai. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So what we're doing here as we're in dry dock. Let's pause and give careful thought to our financial ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Have you been there? Do you feel it sometimes? I sure do. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your financial ways. Financial is me. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, which e- while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a draught on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Verse 4 says this, is it a time for you, yourselves, to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? 
my concern is for us as a people, I want to see more of the power of God. And I'm asking myself because I read Haggai, because I read Malachi, and I wonder, as us as North Americans, we're so, we are really in bondage in this area. In the area of finances, we really have trouble seeing clearly. And I wonder if we as a church are not experiencing some of the move of God that he wants for us because of our inability to get right in this area. Now, just as an aside, and this really is an aside, it's not the main point of my message, but just so you know, we made our budget. The finance committee recommended a budget to the leadership team that we approved, and that budget for 2012 was $140,000. Praise God, we're we're increasing every year. But I do have a small question, and that is this. I'm assuming that there's about 100 people here who give, that we can say there's, there's about 100 wage earners in this room. You know, we've got our students here. We're running about 150, 175 on Sundays. But I'm assuming there's a solid core of 100. So my question is, is it true that the average income of these 100 folks is really just $14,000 a year? I don't think so. You know, $14,000 a year is the, for 2011 is the poverty line. In, uh, in, in, um, for a family of two. This isn't the main point of my message, but I do just want to give that to you as a point of information. The reason it's not the main point is because I trust God. I mean, God is the one who provides for the harbor. And when I'm sitting in my office, I'm not sitting thinking, darn it, we don't have people tithing. I can't buy a new computer. You know, That's not what I sit in my office and do. But what I do do is I think, God, why are we not experiencing more of the power of God, more of the fire of God? And then I do think, Where are our people? Are they being obedient financially? So really for you, for you experiencing the the fullness of God in your life, not only financially, but in all the intangibles that we really need from God, healing, deliverance, salvation, the life of God, I'm saying, where are you? Are you making a budget? Are you aware of what your income is and your outcome is? And does your budget begin with T? Does it start with that first first fruits tithe? You can't afford not to, honestly, as, as some have famously said. God cares about money. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, oh, church, money, here it is again. I'm not just trying to fundraise. I'm trying to get us to experience the kingdom of God. And Jesus has more instruction. Do you know that Jesus has more instruction on finances than he does on prayer and petition, actually? Because of this principle. He knows that if we want true riches, we've got to be able to handle the worldly ones well. God have mercy on me. God have mercy on my family. God have mercy on us. Now, oftentimes this message goes to Malachi 3.10, which says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And usually there's kind of an evangelical teaching on, so the tithe belongs to the church, then you give beyond that, and that's how it should be. I don't think I can preach that with a lot of integrity because it's just kind of one of these small, you know, it's like people build a whole kind of... um, teaching over this one verse, and I can't do it. Um, I'll say it's good practice. You know, I can say that with integrity. It is good practice. It's kind of what Kelsey and I aim to do. We aim to tithe to the local church, and then we give, we give beyond. But we're not bound by legalism in it. When God moves on us and we say, oh, this person needs help, we do that. And if that means a little bit comes off the tithe for the harbor, that's the way it is, because we're walking with Jesus. We're not just punching a punch card. You know what I'm saying? It is a good practice, But I don't think I can legalistically say, hey, you better make sure your 10% pre-tax comes to the harbor. That's not my concern. Because as you can hear, my concern is more obedience and all the fruit that comes from it. Relationship, all the fruit that comes from it. 
Probably a good example there is just quiet time. You know, do I like to have an hour quiet time per day? I sure do. But I got two small kids. Do I clock in 60 minutes every morning? I can't say that I do with a, without lying to you, you know, from the stage. But all I know is that when I have days upon end, when I don't have my hour with the Lord, I get a little funky. So I think the same thing applies to this. 10%, you know, it's just, there's a great, it's a good thing to shoot for. Hey, 10% to the local church. But you know what? If you're not walking by the law on this, it's okay. Because, of course, what is the New Testament standard? The New Testament standard, we look at 2 Corinthians 8, and we see Paul persuading the Corinthians, won't you give to the church in Jerusalem? They're going through a famine, for goodness sake. And how does he persuade them? He says, check out the churches in Macedonia, like the church in Philippi. He says, check these guys out. These guys, out of their poverty, have become rich in generosity. That's the the church at Philippi, rich in generosity. Or as one translation says, they're lavishly open-handed. And the churches in Philippi were not rich churches. Or the church in Philippi, the Macedonian churches, were not wealthy. It reminds me of what John Wesley was able to stir up in England in the 1800s. He had such a move of God among the people that he's walking with that it was the poor who were giving extravagantly to like the uber poor. It was these working class and under, underworking uh, of, of, uh, of England that were so generous. They got, a, they got a hold of it and they became lavishly open-handed so that people could just make it on the streets in London and the other big centers in England. It's so wonderful when people get, you know, when they get in this kingdom mindset and they get to be lavishly open-handed, rich in generosity. And that's the real standard. So that's, that's the standard we want to go for. Amen. Everyone say tithe. Okay, you want to make a budget. It's going to begin with T. That really should be the first thing as you... Make your paper budget, then first thing should be tea. And what we want to do is we want to have low, 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 or no D. And what's our D word today? Take a guess. Lord have mercy. Debt. Okay? All the teaching out there today says debt is not a sin. Okay, praise God. If Charles Finney was here, he would totally disagree. I practically crawled under my desk in the office this week reading Charles Finney's sermon on debt. Okay? He says, listen, Romans 13, 8 says, let no debt be outstanding among you. Let no debt be outstanding except the debt to love one another. And he says, look, Romans 13, 8, that's as good as the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments for me. It's still God's inspired word. Let no debt remain outstanding. He's hardcore. Now, he was president of university. He was president of Oberlin in Ohio, used mightily of God in the Second Great Awakening in the 1800s in the U.S. So this guy knew about student debt, because even back then, 150 years ago, there were these things called education societies, and they would provide money for students to go to college. And he said, I would rather be a student for the rest of my life, taking one class at a time, than be in debt and be against God's word. (laughs) Just going to see who's going to rush the stage now. Listen, Kelsey and I, we're in bondage, okay? Our debt service, because we're aggressively trying to get rid of our student debt, it comes to about six to $700 a month. It's because we're doubling, tripling payments because we want to get free. And I want you to get free. I know the big three right now, right? You're, I don't even, we won't do the show of hands, but you probably have, if you're in this room, it's highly likely you have student debt. It's highly likely that you're paying for a car. And it's highly likely that if you purchase a house, you're doing it with a mortgage that you're not paying cash. Right? 
You just, I'm not going to contend with those things right now, but I'm just going to invite you, seriously, when you think of 2012, if you're about to engage in any one of those debts, will you please ask the Lord first? Will you please have a real legitimate prayer time with God? I mean, you please get some counsel before you sign on any dotted line on any of those things, right? I'm sad. I'll tell you why. Because Kelsey and I are sad. When it comes to the student debt thing, I just wish that someone had counseled me. Hey, you know you can go to junior college first and spend two years there and then transfer? I wish someone had told me that was an option. But no one did at Needham High because Needham High is too, they want to make sure that, you know, ooh, here's who, here's a percentage of kids who go to four-year universities. You know, no one tells you when you're, when you're in high school, you can do that, right? I wish that my parents had told me, hey, you don't have to go headlong into debt just to get a bachelor's degree, you know? And who, is, who knows what's going to happen with that, right? Some people predict that that thing will fall on itself. You know, the fact that a useless bachelor's degree now costs $200,000, eventually that thing's got to crumble. But I've heard other words that people just say, it's just going to keep climbing that price. Anyways, before you sign on a dotted line, just say, God, say, hey, God, is this, is this really what you have for me? Because as I was explaining... Kelsey and I feel sad on two levels. Where we are constricted by our debt, and Proverbs 22.7 is what explains why it's a sin. What, right, Proverbs 22.7 says, because the borrower is the slave to the lender. Okay, the borrower is the slave to the lender. Kelsey and, I are, are, Kelsey and I are slaves to these random banks in nowhere Midwest that have, sorry, I love you if you're from the Midwest, but it's like, call the 800 number and it's impossible to get anyone. And... Um, we're random, we're slaves to these random folks in the Midwest who have our things tied up. And it just means on two levels. One, um, you know, we just, if God says go or if God says give, we just can't go or give as quickly because we're tied down by our debt. But the second thing is the thing that I'm getting after today, which is what makes me sad is, is our mismanagement of our funds put us in a place where we aren't able to traffic in salvation, healing, and deliverance like God would want us to because we haven't been faithful with worldly treasure. I know that's a heavy, but it's a question I'm asking. And Jesus came and he gave grace and truth. And so here's the truth part. The truth part is we need to get out of debt. Honestly, you as an individual, as a family, and so us as a church, we need to get out of debt so we can be free to do all that God has us do. I love my mom. I know I was kind of dogging her about the, the uh, college thing, but my mom, she drove a beater for years. And then she paid cash for a new car. I said, praise God. Just thousands of dollars that mom didn't pay in, um, in interest. It was powerful. So you rethink those things. Okay, if we want the true treasure, we want to make and stick with a budget that begins with T and has no D. That's what God is after. Now some really practical things. I'm going to ask some people to raise their hands. With the booths, raise your hand. There you go. They're in the back of the sound table. Raise those hands high. Keep them raised. Crasses. They didn't know I was doing this. Are Keith and Sarah here today? Keep them raised. Keep them raised. Okay, Crasses. Now, Mitch Holt, you raise your hand. There you go. Bakers. I'm just going to assume something about the Bakers vision. Okay. And now, just keep those hands raised. And is there anyone else here who is very good at keeping, maintaining a budget? I'm assuming the, um, the Carlsons also. Yes. Yes. Who are you? Yes, say your name. I don't know you. Yes. Jonathan, glad you're here, okay? Keep, okay, Tim Noiner, great, Noiners. Yes, um, sorry, just, I know who you guys are. Yes, thank you. Um, you guys keep your hands raised, all right? Connectly, okay, praise God. Don't get into student debt. <clears throat> all right, so can, can you guys please keep your hands raised all the way? Don't be shy. Raise, 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 all right. 
If you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know how to make a budget. I don't know how to stick to a budget. Then here are some people I can't speak for them. Maybe they will help you. Okay, I don't know. (laughs) But come on, this is the body of Christ. We should be able to help each other here. I just know from Josh Booth, I've got this access to this incredible Excel program that can help me keep track of my finances. Okay, I'm not saying he's going to give that to you, but okay, we got some help here. All right, and then as far as some sources outside this congregation, Dave Ramsey, contrary to popular opinion, he is not Jesus Christ, but he does. He does have some good financial advice, all right? And he can help you. He's got some tools that can help you. So Dave Ramsey, R-A-M-S-E-Y, just look him up on the web. I mean, just, yeah, little wisdom there is he wants you to be a millionaire. I'm not saying that's the kingdom perspective all the time, but he'll help you get things in line. Or another one is Crown Financial, right? Crown Financial Ministries, uh, Larry Burkett, Financial U, Financial University, that's another good one if you need help in this area. Are there any other kind of tried and true resources that you guys have found? Let's talk to each other a little bit. Carlson. Mint. Yeah. Yeah. If you feel good electronically secure about giving Mint all your information, then yes. That's good, yeah. Mint will just help you keep track of your budget and, and your goals and stuff. Okay, anyone else? Thanks, Brian. Any other good tried and true resources out there? Yes. Yeah. Amen. Daily Worth? So he said, okay. Okay. Steph Gertner, thank you. Daily Worth, good. David Connectly? Yeah. <laughs> True riches, David, true riches. Yeah, praise God. Amen. Okay, awesome. Any other resources out there? Good stuff. Jenna, why don't you come on up with the team? So I'm going to make a really special invitation this morning. And um, it is this. I had a great story, and uh, I just want to share it with us. The invitation is basically this. If you are in debt, I want you to come and come up here. And I want us to pray for you. I want you to do business with God and just say, God, what does it look like for me to get out of debt? You know, what's my aggressive plan? You're not under condemnation. You know, Romans 8.1 is really clear about that. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because that doesn't really help the problem. Usually we just get stuck in a guilt cycle. You know, at least this is what I do. When I get stuck in the guilt cycle, I just buy more at Starbucks, okay? It's, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work as well. But when I get past the condemnation thing, I go, okay, God, let's deal with the real issue. And then, you know, we make a plan. And, and, we, and God, you know, we get rid of the guilt thing and just say, okay, God, what do we do? So if you're in debt, I'm going to invite you. As we start to worship here, you come up here and we're going to pray for you. And we're going to trust that God's going to speak to you about what you need to do in obedience, okay? Or if you're just in dire need, you just come on up. What I'm going to ask is if you're in the congregation and you see people who are up here getting prayed for and ministered to, you just ask God, what would he have you do? So I've got a great story to share, and it's this. There was a, a church in Canada, and um, one of the members of the church was a family man. He had kids, and his business went bankrupt. Obviously, great distress. How he had been making his money was now gone. And so another man in the congregation who didn't know him that well said, okay, God, what should I do? And he started to write a check. And God stopped him in the middle of writing the check and said, no, I want you to do something different. 
And what he had this man do is, he's, he, the, the man who's writing the check gave this other man a credit card and said, you use this credit card for gas and for food for as long as you need, and I will pay it. There's some faith there. Amen? And it ended up being 18 months. 18 months, this gentleman paid for the father's gas and foods. So they could just live, and so he could get his bearing straight, so he'd get a new job. And that's what I see happening here at this church. I see us taking care of one another, the body of Christ, helping each other with our finances, letting us get free because we've got a collective goal. Now, that collective goal is we want to be verse, versed and we want to work in the true riches of salvation, healing, and deliverance in our midst. We just got to get this thing squared away. Amen? Amen. So you all stand. As you're standing, I just want to share a couple of the words that we got in prayer before the service. Kathy saw a picture of gems falling from heaven. So if you're sitting here and thinking, I am in dire straits financially, you just know, hey, and when, when Kathy got that picture of gems falling down from heaven, she heard the Lord saying, I can do all things, you know, regarding fi- finances as we focus on God. If you'll make God your focus, He can make things happen. The obedience in relationship is the issue. Brianna got the simple word of debt is not too big for God. If you feel crippled by tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans or things that you're sitting under, just know that debt is not too big for God. Heather got a picture of someone banging their head against the wall, whether it was in their thinking or in sin or an outside force. Just know that God wants to end the banging and break the hindrances that are keeping you from His presence, whether that's financially related or not. And also, we just had some physical healing words. So if either of these are um, you, then you just come and get prayer also. If you have a left knee that needs healing, let's let God heal that. And um, if you have an ear infection, God may want to heal you in a special way. Just remember that this is way bigger than your ledger. Okay, This is way bigger than you just getting squared away personally, although it's a really important thing. It's about us accessing the true riches in heaven as a team, as a group. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're good. Uh, thank you that, Jesus, you did come and you came in grace and in truth. So we receive both. We receive the grace from God that there really is no condemnation. If we are in debt or if we are sloppy with our finances, there is grace for us today. But we also receive the truth. That, Father, in order for us to be more versed as this nation goes along in its journey, in order for us to be in a better place to help others with healing, with deliverance, with salvation. We need to have some, just a baseline of obedience here. So I pray, Lord, come and move on us as a body. I pray that like the church in Philippi, or like the Macedonian church, you'd be set of the harbor, that we were rich in generosity, that we were lavishly open-handed on all levels, individual and corporate. Set us free. The issue is our souls, God. Deliver us from the bondage to fear and greed and insecurity, especially in this economic time. We believe that the kingdom of God is more real than the shaky economy of the United States, Europe, and the world. God, your kingdom will last forever. So let us bank on the eternal truths of obedience and relationship to God. 
Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.